aspects you take my words and uh, just uh, those that are what you want people to hear, Lord, you would just place in their hearts and minds this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, Galatians, it's a great little letter, isn't it? And uh, I got... Have I got that on all right? Just checking. Yes, good. Um, it's, um, it, its date, that uh, when it was written, is, is sometimes disputed by just a few years. Uh, but it was certainly, if not the first letter that Paul wrote, it was one of the very earliest. And uh, we get quite a lot of information from it. The translators say that it's actually quite a difficult letter to translate, and it's because Paul was so passionate about what he was saying. It's like his words perhaps were all pouring out, wanting his scribe to get it down on paper. Uh, Some of the sentences seemingly have got lots of phrases So, you know, picking out which is the most important is difficult. And some of the sentences don't even end, seemingly. So that was the translator's difficulty. It reminds me, uh, back in the 80s, I was doing a job in education, early 80s, um, where quite often I had to be a scribe for youngsters taking GCSE exams in science or maths and A-levels as well, Uh, youngsters who had quite severe dyslexia. Now, these were the days, of course, before computers in schools and word processors, so these things had to be done by hand. And how difficult it was sometimes. When they knew things, it all poured out. When they didn't know things, it was just as difficult because some things poured out and did they really want that written down and so on and so forth. So I always feel for Paul Scribe writing on quite expensive uh, manuscript um, skin and uh, having to get all this down. But whatever the difficulties in this letter, it actually has a very straightforward message and one which is easy to understand. And it is that justification or salvation by, is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else has to be added on, no works, no rules. It is, as we've already been hearing this morning, faith in Jesus Christ alone. We have to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Son, the promised Son, the Messiah, sent by God in heaven to earth to redeem us and uh, all those before and, and after us, all who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a matter of believing that God raised the crucified Christ from the dead, that the same spirit that did that, God sends to each one of us as followers to shape our character, to guide us, to equip us. 
and to know that we follow a risen, living Lord. And because of that, his mercies are fresh again this morning as they have been every day. The psalmist wrote, God's mercies are new every morning. All of that we are going to remember as we come to communion in a little while. And as we're also going to see in today's passage, um, these are truths that are for everyone, everyone who follows Jesus, no matter what race, gender, background or social position we may have. So, two things this morning. There is just one true gospel and it is a gospel that, in the lovely title that Matt gave me, a gospel that levels the playing field for all who follow Jesus. We are all the same in God's eyes, equally loved and valued. And uh, so that was Paul's key message in this early letter that he wrote. And he wrote many other letters, as you know, and some of them are longer and fuller than this one, and yet the message is consistent. It's there all the way through. So I thought it would help us if we had a bit of a timeline which we get from this letter about what Paul had been doing. And, of course, we also get from the Acts of the Apostles from about chapter 9 onwards. And uh, so by meshing them together, we can get some of the backstory. And it, it, it uh, picks up from the end of um, the latter half of chapter 1 of this letter because Paul gives his own testimony um, to really illustrate the points that he is wanting to make. So it begins in uh, about AD 33 or 34, and Paul, uh, a Roman citizen, but well-educated in Jewish law, a Jew, is just out and out persecuting the Christians. That's his story. We, we encounter him first at the stoning of Stephen, who had been appointing as appointed as a deacon in the early church. Paul was out to get them. So he even got papers so that he could travel out of Jerusalem and beyond to, uh, for the express purpose of persecuting, getting rid of the Christians. And that's how it was in AD 34 that he was on the road to Damascus and he met the risen and ascended Christ. And it was the most extraordinary and amazing meeting. We read that Paul uh, was uh, filled with the Spirit and he was called by God to share this gospel of Jesus Christ. He went on to Damascus, blinded. Ananias prayed with him. His sight came back. He was baptised. Then he spent three years in Arabia. Uh, we, we learn. And uh, it's interesting, perhaps, how God was preparing Paul for all that he was being called to do in being a leader and taking this true gospel right round the Mediterranean and to Rome. And uh, three years, perhaps, of Paul 
uh, matching up all the things he knew from uh, his Bible, the Old Testament, and the things that he was learning uh, about Jesus being the Messiah. So at the end of that, uh, Paul returns to preach in Damascus, and we read that uh, Paul visited um, Peter in Jerusalem for a short visit, just a fortnight. And he also met James, the, uh, the brother of Jesus. And it was just a private uh, visit, uh, I guess just telling him, just telling Peter what had been going on. Peter was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he wanted to check out uh, and tell him what had been going on for these past years. And we then read that Paul escapes and uh, has to return to Tarsus, where he was born, his hometown, to preach the gospel. And he was preaching there, it's in the south of Turkey. It was an important Roman city, lots of trade going on, lots of people passing through. So nearly everybody that he was sharing the gospel with were Gentiles, non-Jews from different places. And they were hearing, they were receiving this amazing gospel. Get to AD 44 and Barnabas seems to arrive in uh, the life of Paul and he invites him to go to Antioch um, in Syria. And that became a really important church for the early church, sending out the gospel to uh, other places. And it's where the followers of Jesus were first called Christians, the name that we carry to this day. And that's where we pick up chapter 2. Um, you, it's just a part in the dark that you need to see in there. Because in verse 1 that Sally read to us, it says, 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again. And this time, I went with Barnabas, and Titus came too. And in verse 2, we get the reason why he went on this next occasion. And he says, I went because God told me to go. Simple as that. No other explanation, nothing else to be said. God told me to go. We're looking at uh, prayer in life groups at the moment and at a prayer course uh, with videos based on the Lord's Prayer. And we're learning, amongst other things, that prayer is an everyday state of being, not a thing of doing, but a state of being in conversation with God. And as such, it's speaking, and uh, we're looking at the different ways we can speak to God. But it's, it's listening, it's hearing from God as well. And so often, as we read through Paul's letters and the Acts of the Apostles, Paul says, God told me not to do that, but to do that. Not to go there, but to go there. And uh, this seems to be one of those early occasions. God said to him, 
go from here, go on quite a long journey, go to Jerusalem. And Paul makes it clear in these verses that it was a private visit with the leaders of the Jerusalem church, uh, Peter, John, and James, the, the brother of Jesus. And the folks who went with him, well, Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was a Jew, and uh, he's described in Acts as a, a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was well known to the church in Jerusalem. He was respected by them. And he's the one who later becomes called an encourager. And uh, I think he's one of my favourite people, really, in the New Testament. His character sounds wonderful, sounds terrific. Titus was a much younger man. And uh, Titus had probably been converted through Paul's ministry. And he was a Greek And Paul took him along, and we know from other places that Paul mentored Titus over quite a long time. There are letters that we can read to Titus in our Bible. And Titus became a leader of the church on the island of Crete. So those were the folks who went along. And uh, Paul explained to the Jerusalem leaders that the gospel that he was preaching was salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And specifically, saying that people didn't have to become Jews first before they could become um, Christians. I should have clicked on to there to say we're talking about verses 1 to 3. And the good news was that the leaders in Jerusalem those who had been close to uh, Jesus, they agreed. They said, yes, that's our gospel. That is fine. What you are preaching is good. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And very specifically, to sort of make the point, uh, they didn't insist that Titus be circumcised uh, as he was a, a Jew, uh, as he was a Greek, rather. That hasn't happened. And they didn't insist that that it would happen. But it was a strange meeting in as much as we read in the next verses that the meeting was infiltrated by some people uh, and in different translations it says they called themselves Christians but they were false Christians. They were saying things that were untrue and they were putting forward the argument that Paul was disregarding the law of Moses by not insisting that male converts like Titus and the hundreds or thousands of other people like him back in Tarsus and Antioch, that they had to be uh, circumcised like Jews. And these people came to be known as Judaizers and this is the first occasion when they are mentioned in our New Testament. And as Paul tells the Galatians in this letter, he refused to listen to them because they wanted to take away the freedom that Jesus Christ had given them and to force people to follow Jewish laws as well. And Peter, James and John, they all agreed. They said, yes, 
Um, these people are wrong. And uh, as we heard a couple of weeks ago when Matt was preaching, Paul is sharing the outcome of that meeting in Jerusalem when all that happened in this letter to the Galatians because these same Judaizers had made their way to Galatia, long distance away, but they got there. Don't know if it was the same people or just other folks believing the same thing, but they had got there and they were now saying the same things to those churches in Galatia that Paul had, uh, to whom Paul had given the gospel. And so Paul was saying, just don't take any notice. Instead of that, just keep to the truth of the gospel. Don't be made slaves again by these false uh, Christians. Jesus himself had said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he was encouraging the Galatians to hold on to the truth of the gospel. It had given them freedom, it would keep them free. And we can say, well, that's great. It's uh, saying something really firm that we can follow. But is it just a piece of interesting history? But, you know, quite a number of similar things have cropped up uh, in the history of the church. And some of them not so long ago. A number of cults have arisen taking part of the gospel so that it kind of sounds all right and kind of sounds Christian, but adding on rules or adding on additional scriptures uh, that they say must be followed. So some of these have come from other parts of the world, like the United States, for example, the Mormons. Some, though, have started in the UK, in the town where I was born in Northampton, uh, the Jesus Army started. And lots of it was good and Christian. And yet, they added on other things that took it away from the true gospel. When Peter and I became uh, Christians in the early 70s, um, the charismatic movement was just getting going in this country. It was emphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit and impacting the churches and that was such a good thing because it had been neglected for a long time. But even then, some churches began to deviate from the pure truth of the gospel. Some preachers said, well, these are the gifts of the Spirit listed in Scripture. And you're only a real Christian if you've got this particular gift or that particular gift. And creating these rules that were never there in the first place. Heavy shepherding became a feature of some of the churches up north and uh, folks had to go and ask permission from the leaders to change their jobs. Or it said even if they wanted to change the colour of the wallpaper, they had to, had to go and ask. These are additions on top of the gospel that just shouldn't ever be there. You know, for missionaries, it's been an issue, hasn't it, over the last 200 years to consider carefully what message to take to other parts of the world that isn't taking our British culture 
and the things that we've added on from our British culture into church life and imposing those things on other people. These are additions to the simple but amazing truth of the gospel that shouldn't be there. Even today, um, there are new expressions of church that are appearing and we have to be careful as we look at those to see is it the truth of the gospel that's being proclaimed or are we trying to impose something about our traditional church life uh, in inappropriately. I was really interested in something I, I read in the paper just uh, yesterday. And uh, at the beginning of my working life, I was a scientist. I think I've forgotten it all now, but back then, that's what I did. And uh, I'd learned yes, just yesterday that tomorrow, Monday morning, um, the kilogram has to change weight all around the world. Or I should say mass, shouldn't I? All around the world. Some people are nodding at me that know these things. Um, the thing is that 139 years ago, in a vault near Paris, triple-locked vault, um, a piece of metal was placed there, which is the, the ultimate standard for a kilogram. It's, uh, it's made of platinum and iridium. And it's hardly been out of the vault ever since. Now, copies were made, and they have been in use all around the world in order that when we are sold a kilogram of something, uh, the money that we pay for it um, is right, we get our money's worth. Uh, that's what it's all about. But these copies have been handled and atoms have disappeared off them and it's now been found that those are lighter than the real genuine one in the vault outside Paris. So tomorrow morning, they've all got to be changed. Interesting, isn't it? When I was thinking about it, you know, all these adverts for cooking for cakes... And uh, bakers, I don't think we have to worry because it seems that in a kilogram of flour, there are 100 million specks of flour, okay? And currently, we're being sold about five specks of flour short. <laughs> so so uh, when it changes, as from tomorrow... Um, I, don't th I don't think it's going to spoil our Victoria sponges or cupcakes or whatever. But the truth is important, isn't it? The truth is important. We mustn't allow it to change uh, in small things and certainly with regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moving on to the remainder of that passage this morning. In verse 6, um, we see that refuting the, what the Judaizers were saying wasn't only a matter of church doctrine, an important one. 
Or it wasn't only a difference between how Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians uh, should be treated, but there does seem to be something else going on in this meeting, and it has to do with status and power. Paul writes, speaking of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, that their reputation, their good reputation as great leaders that uh, they had, made no difference to him. They weren't more important. He said, God has no favourites. Now, these people that he's talking about were pretty impressive people, we would say. He's talking about the Apostle Peter, who was with Jesus for three years uh, during his ministry, whom after the resurrection, Jesus met on a beach, you remember, and uh, recommissioned him to be a leader of uh, the church. There was the apostle John, remember at the Last Supper that we are remembering today. It was John who had his head on Jesus' shoulder, And John was described as the disciple that Jesus loved. And it was James, the half-brother, we might say, of Jesus, the the one who'd been brought up with Jesus in the home by their mother, Mary, who knew Jesus really, really well. These are the three people that Paul is talking about as the leaders of the church there in Jerusalem. He describes them as the pillars of of the church in in, in verse 9. And so how was it that these Judaizers um, got in to their private meeting and said these things that weren't true? And maybe it was that uh, these Judaizers knew, these folks knew the leaders of the church in Jerusalem because they were part of it. And maybe they thought that they were the really important people, and because they knew them, that made them important as well. A sort of spot of name-dropping, we would uh, say. There is a saying, isn't there, that we have, It's, it's not what you know, but who you know. And it seems to be that they were thinking a bit along those lines, to go into this private meeting and to say what they did. And after all, they were all there in Jerusalem, and for ages Jerusalem had been seen as the centre of uh, the Jewish world. If you look at the um, map of Monday in, uh, in Hereford Cathedral, very old map there, right in the middle is Jerusalem. That, that was had been the world view. That's where the centre was. But Jesus had come and had overturned these hierarchies in Jerusalem. He'd even overturned Jerusalem as being the centre, the most important place in the world. He had done away with it. And all the gospel accounts Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that we have today. But of course, these Galatians didn't have. They weren't written for about 30 years after this. They didn't have them. Um, But all the gospel accounts talks about Jesus spending time with the poor, with the marginalised, with those who were ill, 
and speaking really very plainly against religious leaders who try to oppress other people. So it would seem that Jesus' example was also saying God has no favourites. And it just amazes me to think that 2,000 years later, after Jesus um, walked the earth, what it's saying to us is that we here today, the followers of Jesus in this place, this church in Creech St. Michael and all the places we meet in the week round and about, this church is just as important to God as that early church, that very first church in Jerusalem was after Jesus returned to heaven. Um, that's quite mind-blowing, isn't it? Again, as we look back in history, human power has crept into the church many times over. Anybody who studied church history will know that the, Re the Reformation came about because the Roman Catholic Church was exerting power and control, uh, exacting taxes from uh, various nations. And worse, the local Roman Catholic priests were saying that when people came to communion, they couldn't simply be assured of God's forgiveness, but that they should pay them some money as well, just to be confident that God would forgive them. That was the sort of thing going on back in those times. And so when Martin Luther, who was a Roman Catholic priest, um, he was giving some lectures in 1515, lectures on Paul's letter to the Romans and on Paul's letter to the Galatians, this very one we're looking at. When he was giving those lectures, he kind of had his own Damascus experience and he realised that the way that the church was in those days was way off the way that early church was and that power and control had come to take over. And so he preached that justification was by faith in Christ alone and not by any other means. And so the Reformation ripples went across Europe and out of that the Church of England came into being and for those people who thought there was still too much institutionalised power, even in the Church of England, dissenting churches came into being, like the Baptists. And uh, the Baptists and others like them, they read the Bible together, they prayed, they discussed things together, and they discerned the mind of Christ together, with everyone being equal. And uh, we'll be doing that tomorrow night at the church meeting as, as we gather here. It's been a great pleasure for me to uh, be in many Baptist churches um, since, I was, uh, since I trained for ministry. And uh, there are lots of good, good things about Baptist churches and wonderful work done. And the message is true and given out. But the saddest part of the work that I've had to do over the years is to intervene and act in the appropriate way when there have been signs of abuse within a church 
or more frequently when there has been bullying going on in a church, when one person or a group of people have tried to take over in some way, uh, making other people do things, taking control. And everything in scripture tells us that God does not like those attitudes. God hates those attitudes. They bring the church into disrepute and are far from the description of the early church in Acts where folks were recognised because they loved one another. That's what people outside did. So, to sum up, in this um, passage to the uh, Galatians, Paul's reminding them that uh, it's not who the leaders are, not that they're important, but the truth of the message that's important. And in the way they left each other, they're saying that the Gentiles in Galatia and elsewhere are just as important as the Jewish converts. It's a level playing field, all loved uh, by God. There's a verse, actually, and I apologise to whoever's going to be preaching from Galatians 3 and verse 28, but it kind of sums, this one verse sums up uh, what Paul is saying here, that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. So, as we come to communion, let's remember the true gospel sealed by the blood of Jesus giving us freedom. Let's reflect on our own attitudes in the light of that and rejoice that we are on a level playing field, each of us known by God, by name, each loved, each precious, each equally valued. Amen.